Welcome to Native Yoga Toddcast. So happy you are here. My goal with this channel is to bring inspirational speakers to the mic in the field of yoga, massage, body work, and beyond. Follow us at Native Yoga and check us out at nativeyogacenter.com. All right, let's begin. Hello and welcome to this episode of Native Yoga Toddcast. Today I'm excited to bring to you Katie Sharer and I'm going to encourage you to visit Katie on her website, katiesharyoga.com, spelled K-A-T-Y-S-C-H-E-R-E-R, yoga.com. And you'll find her at the same name on Instagram, on IG, Katie Schreer Yoga. Hopefully I got that good enough, Katie. <laughs> I want to do my best to say your name properly, so hopefully you approve of my pronunciation. Thank you so much. Katie is so sweet, and I had such an incredible conversation with her. She was just really open and honest about her journey with yoga and loving herself and creating positive body affirmations and also in dealing and working with uh, students and practicing with teachers, just really honoring where people are at and helping to create a space that feels accessible to everyone. And so I'm so thankful for the opportunity to speak with Katie. I feel so inspired right now and I just can't wait to continue to um, I have the opportunity to watch her on Instagram and see what she has to post. And I encourage you to follow her. She's got a lot of really great things to say. Um, she's going to be teaching a workshop with Joseph Armstrong, which I recently did a podcast with as well, just a couple episodes back. You can check it out as well. They're going to be teaching together in Italy in September, which if you're interested, you can find information on her website or reach out to her with a direct message on Instagram. And also here, if you're interested in practicing with us, we have two weeks free unlimited live stream, which the link is down below. And I also opened up uh, an opportunity for new students to do a 30 minute free Zoom session with me where you can sign up for uh, an appointment on my Calendly. And so that's also on my homepage on my website at nativeyogacenter.com. And so with all that being said, uh, let's go ahead and get started. Let's begin, and I hope you enjoy. I'm delighted to have Katie here. Katie, can you hear me? I can hear you absolutely fine. Oh, I'm so happy. We have quite a few miles in between us. You're in Germany, am I correct? Yeah, I'm in Bonn, so West Germany. And you're sitting in Florida, is that I right? am. I am. We're across uh -huh. the, is it, can we say across the pond? Is that, is that accurate? I guess all, all of Europe and America, we can say across the pond and we're on the right page. A hundred percent. And I'm British, so we always say across the pond anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> that works for me. That was my next question because your last name is Scherer, which is a German name, correct? It is. And, Indeed. but you were born in England. Yeah, I was born in England, but I am actually, believe it or not, Scottish. Um, but I was in um, boarding school in England, so that's why I sound like this. And uh, obviously you speak fluent German and English. Um, I wouldn't say, I, <laughs> I wouldn't go as far as say fluent German, but um, I am I am trying. I'm, I've, been, I've been here for seven years now. So, nice. Um, it's getting it's getting better. It's not an easy language to learn, but it's slowly, slowly but surely getting there. Nice. Do you take classes to learn it, or are you doing it just like the show up on the street and talk to everybody? Don't use English, only German, and just little by little. Or do you have to do you have to do some grammar study to get to the point that you're striving toward? Yeah, for sure. When I when I first moved here. Um, I, my son was only one years old, actually, so um, my interaction was a little bit limited. I had, obviously, a one-year-old conversation uh, partner. Um, so I had to go and find a language course, and um, I started working my way through the levels. And then at some point, um, 
the grammar doesn't, well, I think grammar is always important, but it doesn't really serve the conversation practice that I was looking for. Um, so I left my, my course and yeah, I've just kind of been picking it up bit by bit and obviously my, my well not obviously, but my son is um, a native German speaker. So I've had to be able to interact with his friends a little bit and um, at work as well. Um, we're a bilingual workspace, so that's helped a lot. Nice. That's yeah. cool. Can you explain what type of work you do? Yeah, for sure. So um, I'm predominantly um, a yoga teacher, Ashtanga Yoga, but we run, me and my um, business partner, we run um, a studio here in Germany, in Bonn, and we have a yoga and lifestyle concept store as well. So I kind of facilitate many roles, shall we say, in, in, in the day-to-day running of the business. Um, but yeah, that's really where I'm sitting with work. Nice. So you have, it's a yoga studio with then like the storefront is a, like you said, like a, a retail style shop. Are they connected or are they separate buildings? They, they are. They are, they are connected. It's, it's not kind of the traditional space that I've seen. I mean, I've been really lucky to have practiced all over the place. And usually you have a shala or a studio that has a little tiny retail space. This is a little bit different to that. We have a full floor for retail space. Um, and it's very loosely based on yoga. I don't want to say it's a yoga store, but yeah. um, it's more down the lifestyle um surrounding yoga shall we say nice and then our shala our studio is in the same building but on the third floor very cool how long have you guys been open so i was trying to work it's so funny how time flies but the the first we had a few studio spaces the first space opened seven years ago and that was just me on my own and then four years ago we combined well i combined forces with um a friend of mine, um, to create what we have now. So, yeah, I think in, in the setup we have as of today, it's about four years. Gotcha. Mm. Nice. And ooh, so then you've been open and or in business through 2020 and 2021. <laughs> and you're yeah. still surviving. You're still standing. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Congratulations. Oh, That's not easy. That's a huge deal. I, I'm so curious. I have a ton of questions for you, but I'm so curious, like, what was your experience like in Germany? I mean, I don't know. I haven't really spoken to anybody from Germany since 2020. So was it was it really difficult? Did you what what was it like? It was it was tough. It was really, really tough. I think um Within Europe, anyway, Germany had one of the strictest um, COVID rules and regulations put in place. Mm. Um, we had full full lockdowns, um, and within the two years, we had a seven month period where the shala was completely closed. Wow, um, we we weren't able to open, um, and then even when we were able to open again, we had to use. I mean, I think it was the same in, in Florida as well. You had. Um, uh, the German word is upstand, close it in English, uh, distancing yeah. uh, between the mats. So yeah. we had to have, I think, 1.5 meters between mats and we had to have masks. And um, it was, yeah, it was a really complex, I mean, tests. We had to make sure all, every student was tested uh, before entering the space and then wow. vaccinated. It was really quite, and I mean, I don't want to say an ordeal because I, mean, I know a lot of people had it worse than we had it, but as a as a studio, as a practice space, and as a business, it was definitely something that I don't think any of us would have foreseen. Because um, yeah. you you also you 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 have your own shala as well. That's correct. Yes, my wife and I have a location in Juno Beach, Florida. So we're like about thirty minutes north of West Palm Beach, and okay. um, so that's probably like an hour and fifteen north of Miami. And we've been in okay. the same location for a little over 16 years now. And oh, wow. um, yeah, teaching Ashtanga here. And then we also do nice. vinyasa and, and yin and gentle and, and try to cater to our population. But 
we do hold, I hold down a, a consistent Mysore program uh, five days a Amazing. week or six days a week. Yeah. So yes, it was very challenging. I mean, uh, Florida is, is pretty loose in the big picture of the whole, that whole scene, but yeah. it's still, we had a lot of people, it just took a long time. It's, it's sure. taken a long time. What's the vibe now? What's the overall vibe right now? It's quite interesting. Um, I think even culturally in Germany, people are a lot more cautious, I think, than other European countries. It's my experience anyway. Um, yeah. So even even after the regulations were lifted, we had a real challenge to kind of encourage people and, and you know, give people a bit of confidence that they could come back uh, into the practice space. And then I'm sure you've had the same experience of trying to wean people away from online classes and yep, um, yep. and the com- convenience of of practicing only online. Um, but it's slowly it it is slowly getting better. Without kind of sounding too morbid and down, I do think the situation uh, with Ukraine very much shadowed COVID. Um, and I did notice that, you know, when kind of the COVID dialogue, shall we say, was kind of taken out of the mainstream media and replaced by something else, I noticed a massive increase in students coming back to the studio. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I know it sounds very strange, but it was, it, it was quite noticeable. So with the war, you feel like that because there was – either A, just the shift in the messaging, or yeah. are you mentioning more B, because it was the the new messaging is, or the new, say, peak news item is almost just as scary? I'm guessing in Europe it's got to feel different than how it feels here. Like, I mean, with distance, I think with anything, yeah. we feel almost removed from it, although there's plenty of news, obviously, to make us feel like we can see what's going on. But in Europe, is there a feeling of like nervousness about the war? Or what are you noticing? I, th- I think when, when obviously from kind of the, the onset, for sure, there was a massive nervousness and, uh, and also sadness. I mean, we, we're very, very close in geography. Um, and um, obviously when, when everything's kicked off um, and refugees were leaving Ukraine, Germany was accepting and still is um, a relatively large amount. So it is a lot more obvious for us. But I, I really think for us in the in the space and, and, and the yoga side of things, I think it was just the media that the whole COVID dialogue um, was overshadowed by something that yeah. everyone, yeah. I feel, felt was by far more important than the, the, the tip for tat, this and that of, of COVID, yeah, um, yeah, um, which is so sad that it's it's taken something um, both very tragic and unnecessary to do that, but that was what I noticed. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I hear you on that. Well, mm. when when you were an Ashtanga yoga practitioner and teacher, how long ago and or what was your first Ashtanga yoga experience? Yeah, I think I'm, I have quite a similar story to many people, but I actually started uh, with vinyasa yoga, um, I think nine years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, more regularly, nine, I mean, when I was a student, I dabbled, shall we say, in uh, in, in yoga, um, but it was the wrong time and the wrong place um, for my kind of beginning of, of a yoga practice. And it wasn't really until um, very early on in my pregnancy that I suddenly found myself in a situation where running and sports weren't um, so comfortable for me. I didn't feel that they were um, very kind of conducive to where I was at that stage. Um, I was new. Uh, I just moved back to Scotland, but to a city that I wasn't really so familiar with. Um, and my little sister's best friend's mother <laughs> took me to her yoga class. Nice. And the average age in this class, and I was very, very early in my 20s, but I think the average age must have been about 65. Yeah. Um, and I remember coming to this class, and yes, present, but 
I was quite fit and healthy, I thought. <laughs> and I remember being in this class and struggling and looking around at all these women who were, you know, much older than I was, being able to have this very, very beautiful practice. And I just had a bit of a, a light bulb moment. Yeah. Um, I found it incredibly inspiring. And every day after our yoga class, we'd all go for coffee <laughs> and uh, talk and share. And, and yeah, that was, that was my first real foray into the, the yoga world. That's cool. And I, I stuck with that class for for well after uh, my pregnancy was over. And I actually did a, a vinyasa teacher training at that space. And as part of the training, we had to do a lead Ashtanga primary once a month. And that was how I found Ashtanga yoga. Nice. And yeah. when you did your first lead primary series, did you wrap up in Marichyasana D on your first try? Or were your oh. hips nowhere near that type of rotational ability? Absolutely nowhere near. I remember <laughs> doing my, not even not even close. I remember my first five sun salutations, I thought I was going to die. I thought there's not a chance in hell that I'm going to make it through this. Um, yeah, and this was, oh, this was, I mean, was the least of my worries at that stage. But, <laughs> yeah, you had no idea that I was even I, coming down the pike, like you're, you're no, trying to make it through your senses. Cool. <laughs> no, at all. And I, I think, I think it really comes down to personality in, in these situations. You either are faced with this insane practice as an outsider and a newbie, you're either completely thrown off and put off. Or there's something inside you that goes, I'm so bad at this. Yeah. <laughs> but I really want to try. Um and that was that was that was me. I was hooked from from day one. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, it was really it was a very it was a very interesting experience. And I was very lucky to have a very, very good Ashtanga teacher. But as Kind of Murphy's law dictates. I was so early on in my journey. Um, I had so much going on in my head, and, and I wasn't really even able to appreciate the teacher I had in front of me. It took, mm. it took many, many years, yeah. um, and a lot of kind of self-reflection to look back and go, "Boy, that was a really good opportunity." And I wish I'd taken a little bit more advantage of um, having a teacher like that. And this, remind me, this is yeah. in Scotland? This is in Scotland. So this was a teacher called Cathy Moran. Um, and at the time, I think she was the only authorized Ashtanga teacher in Scotland. Nice. I, I might be completely wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure she was. And she still teaches in Glasgow. Um, she's a, a lovely little Charla. Um, and she's just, you know, one of those very, very humble, experienced teachers. Um, who, without saying much, says a lot. Wonderful. And I was just way too early on in my practice to even understand the nuances of that. Um, so if anyone's in Scotland and wants to do a sanger, go say hi to Cathy. That's cool. I, 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 I'm excited to check her out. Have you, mm. have you had a chance to go back and practice with her after you progressed along in your practice? I have. I, it's been a long time. Whenever I'm back home, I do try and pop in. Um, but no, it's my my path don't, doesn't really um, lead me home yeah. very often anymore. Sadly, not. So I'm, I'm, I'm so I'm just want to follow follow your line here. So you're saying so home though is not Scotland. It's London or England. No, so home home is Scotland. Home, it is Scotland. Home is, uh, it is, but I haven't. I actually haven't been home for many yeah. years now. Yeah, um, and to be honest, I don't really have much to go back for anymore. Most of my family live in Germany now. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I feel that that kind of time has, has kind of come and gone. Yeah. Um, it's beautiful. I love, I love to go back and, and visit. Um, but it's not, it's not really, I, I call it home because of habit, but it's not really home anymore. I totally understand. Does it does make sense. I don't want to go too off track, but do, do you know the band Churches <laughs> that are from Scotland? Have you, so listened, have you listened to Churches from Scotland? 
the band? No. Okay, I was just curious. No. I just saw them recently. They're so, they're super cool, and they're, <laughs> I always love when when Scottish bands come into Florida. I always love trying to understand what they're saying. You know, like they talk so. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That's something that I, I completely underestimate. I grew my my parents were Scottish, so I I grew up hearing that accent and thinking nothing of it. And I remember when I was little taking um, school friends who were in England uh, at school with me home the weekend and being so surprised that they had no idea what my parents were saying. <laughs> it was like, it was can you translate? So normal to me. <laughs> yeah. com- really, I'm not, it's without exaggeration. As for me, it was completely normal. But, yeah, no, it's, it's a tough one. It's a tough accent to, to understand, but it's a fun one. So while you were practicing there, was it, it sounds like your first experience was with a leg class, but were there Mysore practices also available, Mysore style and or self-practice style available at that time as well? There were, but I, I really, I really wasn't yeah. aware of what yeah. Mysore was. It, for me, it was, it was really leg class. Um, yeah. So I would, I would try and go as often as I could. Um, and I think it was, Probably about six months later that I kind of discovered what my soul was, um, and I would go sporadically uh, to a my soul class just because I had a, a young baby at home, so it wasn't yes. really so easy to get up um, to to get some my soul practice. I understand getting up, yeah, to get up. Yeah, at, yeah the baby's crying, and so like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It needs to be fed. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's, it's also a negotiation with your family as well, you know, to get up early and say, okay, I'm going to be gone for the next few hours. Yeah. Um, and I was the one at home. So, um, yeah, it wasn't, wasn't really possible. But I did, it, I did it as much as I could. Um, but, yeah, lead, lead was, my, was my in, really, with Sangha Yoga. And it was for a very long time. Currently, when you teach now, what percentage of classes do you teach self-practice style, Mysore style, or leg class style? So I have a kind of a naughty admittance. I only teach Mysore at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't do the lead. I mean, I used to, but we have a relatively new Mysore program, and I that getting everybody into Mysore and starting in that way was, um, I still find it probably the best way to start. I think I'm kind of <laughs> going off my own experience. I yeah. started with lead yeah. and it was really a very aggressive way of starting Ashtanga. And as I said before, it was a very much personality sink or swim moment. And I don't really... Well, I didn't really want to start my students off in that way. Yeah. If that makes yeah, sense. It does make sense. Because don't you find that when you have the option between Mysore or leg class, for some reason, the psychology just really gets us thinking that the leg class is what I have to do and that Mysore is not for beginners. So I have to go and learn leg class first. And then once I learn it in the lead, then I'll be able to go to Mysore and do it self-practice. Have you found the same thing? Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, this is that the argument discussion that we all have as a standard teachers now. Um, and uh, I, I have kind of a rule. At, well, when I did have my lead anyway, it was three to six months of Mysore before you entered lead. Um, because you know, you know what it's like. You can do. I did it years of lead, and you still don't remember the sequence. Mm-hmm. You know, it, 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 you don't learn the sequence um, in lead. Yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I know some people might. Um, I know that when I first went to my store, I my store practice, I was completely lost, and I've been doing lead for a wee while at this point. So I hear you. That was I my experience. <clears throat> can you tell me a little bit about your first trip to my store? Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I can't remember when it was. It was maybe two years, three years before COVID. Um, I've been wanting to go to Mysore, like many of us, for, for a long time. And I just didn't really have the, the confidence to go. Um, I, I kind of thought, oh, my practice isn't good enough. I'm not this. I'm, you know, the kind of the usual dialogue that um, students have. And... Um, my first application, actually, I was in a workshop 
And this was back when, I don't know if you know, but the, the registration systems changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. You don't have this crazy three minutes, two minutes <laughs> window of opportunity to, to submit the applications. But my first trip, it was like that. And I was in a, um, an Ashtanga workshop with um, a teacher that I liked very much. So I got a friend of mine to do the registration for me and she put in the wrong email address. So when the submission went through, I had no idea if it had been received. I had no idea if um, if I'd been accepted. And I reached out to a teacher who I'd uh, been practicing with for a while and she contacted the Charlotte for me and found out that I had been accepted to go. So it was all a bit of a intense first step um, but you were, you were to, it sounds like you were waiting not knowing that they didn't have the right email for you. you probably wrote the wrong email and then in your mind you're thinking i didn't get accepted i haven't heard anything is that correct completely i was i, I was really <laughs> kind of in the panic and then it dawned then, then, then we realized what had happened yeah yeah i was thinking oh my goodness Imagine if I've been accepted and I just don't turn up, and yeah, so um, that was that was an interesting uh, application process. Um, yeah, and then I, I I went and had an amazing experience in Mysore. Um, every trip I've had has been an an interesting um, session month. I've only ever gone for one month at a time, but. Um, yeah, this, the first trip was, it was really, it, it just sort of sealed everything in concrete for me. Yeah. Um, and it, it really was that moment of, yeah, this is, this is, this is the right thing for me, um, in the right timing. Nice. And I, um, I don't really know how to explain it, but I, I I'd always struggled a lot because I, I don't think physically I fit the very stereotypical, um, model of what an Ashtangi looks like and I've, I've struggled with this from the beginning and I've been told this by teachers and it's been such a such a struggle so going to Mysore was really something that I, I had to have that experience and um, I think many people listening who do Ashtanga yoga will know the drama of binding in, in asanas right yeah. it's um and I, I've for years never been able to bind on my own in Supta, uh, Supta Kumasana. And um, I, I got to Mysore and, and this drama around this one posture. And I remember, I think on week two of, of practice, um, Shahat came over, waddled, you know, his little feet, um, came over behind me and grabbed my hands, grabbed my feet behind my head and was like, oh, you, easy, move on. And mm. I thought, I've been stressing about this for four years. I've been told by teachers that I'm not going to move on. I need to lose weight. I need to do this. And and in one split moment, I realized that this is all of that was for absolute nothing. And this was the, this was a massive change for me to come back and be like, actually this drama around um, certain elements of the practice, is unnecessary. So it was a very, very important trip for me, the first trip. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you, do you feel, obviously, when you approach students based on your experience, um, and I've, I've had similar situations where I was being pulled on to go into a pose and the teacher would, you know, kind of, I would say tactfully, I feel like it was honestly, they kind of would let me know that, Hey, if you dropped, you know, another 10 kilo, this would be easy for you, you know? And, and at that point I was already trying to live like the perfect dietary lifestyle. Yeah. And it was like, dude, another 10 pounds, like, Oh, yeah. like, you know, like you're heartbroken. You're like, and, uh, I, I guess, and though in some respects it was a, it was a third series pose and, he was right. <laughs> I mean, he, I, I don't want to try to get wrapped up like that. It was scary. Like I was like, so on the verge of popping, you know, like that, I, I guess, um, it's such an interesting conversation or discussion point. So I, 
what, how do you now when you're working with students, what is your approach in trying to build body positivity in relation to perfecting posture? I think taking out the idea of perfecting posture is the first thing that, that, that I do. And yeah. I find that if I have students who, I mean, I'm, I'm very blessed with, with the students who come to the Charlotte. We are a diverse group of students. Um, and we have all different body types coming um, to practice. So the first thing is I want students to come into the space and know that they are 100% welcome in our space. They are deserving to be in a space with other people and Ashtanga Yoga has a place for them. Yeah. And that's my first thing. And, and there's lots of different ways in which you can do that. The, the difficulty I have, um, because I, I am, I mean, I would class myself as a traditional in kind of commas um, teacher and I do follow the Sharat method. Um, but at the same time, you have to take into account different body types. And I'm really never going to be pushing and forcing any of my students into asanas that, that are, you know, long term, not going to be the healthiest for their bodies. Yeah. But as you said, you know, there are, there are times. I know for me in Pachasana, for example, if I've been having a little bit too much fun, um, you know, the bind disappears. Yes. Right? Yes. It's, it's one of those things. It's just it is the reality, right? The bigger the bigger our bodies are, the more we have to bind around. But that's okay. The energetics of that pose remain, right? The yeah. the, the breath in that asana yeah. remains. Yeah, I, I'm not sure sometimes with, when our fingers touch or or when we have a deep bind. Yeah, it brings something, of course. But if that's my focus, and if that's my focus for another student. I'm kind of robbing them of the experience of actually doing the asana. Does that make sense? I don't it know. It does. If it does make perfect sense. Yes. Yeah. Now, if I have a student who is in even Marichasana C, you know, for many students, Marichasana C is is rough. Yes. Right. Especially yeah. students who are coming from Vinyasa who do different variations of it. You know, if I have a student who's really trying hard, um, and with help, I can help them facilitate a, a, a deep twist even if they're not finding in their hands um i know they're experiencing something in the asana and that that's that's good enough for me and does that mean they move on maybe not yet um but that's that's the important part for me as a teacher i think yeah i hear you that's cool did you how old was your son when you went on your first trip to mysore Oh, do you know, I'm so terrible with years and ages and dates. That's okay. he did he go, did he go with been, you? He came with me on the second trip. Uh-huh. Yeah, he came with me on the second trip. On the first trip, no. Um, was, he, was, quite, he, um, was he young? Um, how old is he I'm now? How, how old is he now? <laughs> he's, he's nine. He's, he's nine. nine now. Oh, that's cool. Uh, he's nine now. Yeah, he, he, came with me, he came with me on my second trip and was very upset with me, was not taking him. Uh, on the last trip. Gotcha. So yeah. I've, I've promised, I've promised for the next one that he can come with me. But um, yeah, I have to always deal with schools and taking time off school. And, it's um, a really, quite strict. it's a big deal, Katie, to like travel with children to India and then to take on doing yoga practice. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty big endeavor. That's that's awesome that you did that. We took our son when he was six to Goa to practice with Rolf Naujakot. And uh, it was it was intense. Like we went in the summer and it was monsoon season and everybody was like, Why are you here right now? You everyone's up in Rishikesh. Like <laughs> and and I just kind of figured from Florida, like it rains a lot here and we get hurricanes. So I thought it's not gonna be a big deal to be there when it's monsoon, but like it really dumps. Like it it rains like day after day after day after day constantly. So everything was boarded up and there was hardly anybody there. And it was just a really challenging trip to travel with a child. Um, so I give you credit and hats off for pulling that off with your son. That's really cool. Yeah, we were lucky. Um, I think Gabriel, his, his name's Gabriel, his first trip to India wasn't in Mysore actually. It was in Goa as well. Oh, wow. Uh, and he was, 
he was two years old, but we were at Purple Valley, yeah. which is one of the, I mean, beautiful and one of the nicest places to be if you yes. have a child. Um, yeah. yeah, and and he, I just remember that experience. He had such a, a good time. And, and, and for my school, I mean, my school is a very easy place to have children. Yeah. I think that's the other thing, just to be very open and honest to everybody about, you know, it's, um, it, it is a very comfortable place to be. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's set up for and I'm sure, I think Sharat and Nishala in general um, make it as easy as they possibly can for anybody coming to practice there with children. Nice, that's yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. And I know that um, I got introduced to you via Joseph Armstrong, who I recently had a chance to speak with, <laughs> and and you guys oh, are. Perfect getting ready to teach a retreat or have it hold in a stronger retreat in Italy in September. Can you tell me a little bit about what you're excited, what you're hoping to achieve and, or what your goal is with the retreat? Yeah, Joseph, um, Joseph's um, such a, such a lovely human being. Um, I met him years and years ago, actually in, in Miami. Um, I was doing one of the, the practitioner programs and he was a teacher on the course and we stayed in touch and on my second trip to to uh, Mysore, we spent a lot of time together. And it's just nice when you meet people who they're, they're, there's a similarity and there's a difference, but you you just feel that that person is is, is very special and inspiring. Um, and we stayed in we stayed in touch. Um, and during COVID, we did a couple of online um, retreats together. And the format worked really well. So I said, hey, Joseph, come on, come to Europe, <laughs> come and hang out and let's, let's teach together and um, let's also spend a little bit of time together. So nice. we are heading to Salento. There's a, a quite a big Ashtanga retreat center um, in Italy called Yoga in Salento. Um, and I've been going there for, for years as a, as a student and I, I've taught there a few times. And we're doing um, Ashtanga and breathwork retreats. Which nice. is um, maybe a little bit different for some people, but um, yeah, we have a, a week together of Mysore and uh, a few talks from Joseph and uh, some breathwork sessions from me. <laughs> Very cool. Can you give me a little idea about what type of breathwork you practice and or teach? Yeah, for sure. Um, this is where my traditional kind of lineage goes a little bit off. <laughs> Um, I, I teach some more modern styles of breathwork. Um, I think before before Ashtanga, before I got into Ashtanga, I had been quite lucky to practice more traditional pranayama practices, but I never really fully understood the practices, even though I was practicing them regularly. I don't know if that, that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I mean... Pranayama practice, especially taught in, in, in those ways, you do have to have a very, very dedicated practice by far more than you do with your asana practice. Mm-hmm. And um, I wasn't really understanding that at that point. And I um, came across a teacher who was teaching, kind of for me anyway, I mean, for the rest of the breath world community, this was not, nothing new, but a very dynamic style of, of breathing. Um, and I did a training with him. Uh, in Bali, actually, and I had an experience uh, during that training that I didn't think was possible to achieve through inhaling and exhaling and holding. Mm. Um, and it just really, curious. you find a practice that just lights something up, and you're like, wow, I really, really want to learn more about this and, and why and, and, and share it. And that was kind of the beginning of my Breathwork journey. Is there is there a certain title and or name of that specific technique? No, which is another thing I really enjoy about it. It's, um, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, which I know is sort of strange, but you know, in a world where everybody is busy branding um, practices, um, this this doesn't have one. But I think the easiest way to describe it is. Um, yeah, dynamic breathwork practices that are borderlining on occasion uh, on um, hyperventilation breathing. Mm. 
Very so cool. I think maybe holotropic is similar. Um, okay. Yeah. I've, I've, I've never, I've only read about holotropics. I've never practiced, but from what I'm reading, I think there are similarities to that. Um, it's a lying down practice, which is also uh, quite unusual for, for many practitioners. Um, but yeah, it's more of a breath experience, I think is how I would describe it. Nice. Have you read James, ne- James Nestor's book, Breath? Yes. Isn't that incredible? Yes. It's, it's wonderful. It's so, it's so interesting and it's so, the, the world of breathing and breath work is, it, it, it's simple. You know, it's, it's, the science is there. It's been there for a while. Um, so fascinating. It's a great book. It's an amazing book. book. I just finished the one that he had written before that called Deep. Have you heard or read that one? No, I haven't. Oh, man, I highly recommend it because, well, Deep, D-E-E-D-E-E-P. <laughs> like, how many E's did I say? Uh, and before, I mean, it makes perfect sense that this this book works great with breath, but prior to him writing breath, he did a journalism piece on the freedivers. So he went to like the world freediving competition and he started getting intrigued by how these people could go underwater for as long as they, they could. And the ability to reach like neutral buoyancy at about 40 to 50 feet down, where once you get down to that point, water just pulls you down. Like, so you don't have to kick anymore. So these guys are going like ridiculously crazy depths, but then just in classic James Nestor style, he researches all these different angles in relation to holding your breath underwater, uh, which probably or did pave the way for him then going the route that he went with breath. But it's just as enjoyable and entertaining and like playful type of writing, you know, like where it's just light, even though he covers some really great subjects. So I, I was just enthralled. I just finished that one the other day. I was so happy with it. But that's cool. I loved breath because it I'd never heard of holotropic breathing prior to reading his book. And I've been practicing Ashtanga style pranayama for quite a while. And I've recently came in contact with a breath teacher, Vicky Starr, who is really excited about and teaching a style called reset breath work, which is also where you lay down on the ground and it's, it's okay, this, um, this, yeah, I don't think it, I don't really, I'd like to go take a holotropic breathing class. Cause I just would love to know like what these different classes, like what the experience is from it, but yeah. it was a radical sort of experience. I, I also did yeah. not think like people kind of started warning, you know, because I'd been practicing so much Dhanga Pranayama style before that they said like, okay, in this type of breathing, like, you know, stuff might come up to the surface and don't worry, you're going to be okay. Like, and I was just like thinking, I'm sure I'll be all right. But it actually was pretty intense. Like it, it very intense. it's, it's, it's amazing. Like you said, like just a simple inhale and an exhale can create this sort of profound experience. So um, that's really cool that you'll be incorporating that into the retreat that you guys are doing together. Yeah, it's, it's such a fascinating world. And, and I came to, actually, I think I found the book Breath from a book that Dan Brule had written. Um, and then it's just such a little rabbit hole you end up going down. And <laughs> I think the idea that you have complete control over this immense power yeah. Just by inhaling, exhaling, and doing this a form of retention, and this, this is it. Really, is um, yeah. I think life changing. Um, and like you, I, I, my my pranayama practice, I don't think was as, as dedicated as yours was, but I had done years of it, and I came to this practice, and it knocked my socks off. Wow! <laughs> I don't know, I don't know yeah. how else to describe yeah. it. Yeah. You know, I was like, okay, what just happened? What what has just happened? Um, and since that point, it's, uh, it's something that has fascinated me. How um, often? Ever since. How often do you integrate that style of practice into your daily practices? Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't do the lying down practices regularly um, because I find that they make a lot more sense when they're facilitated by somebody. Um, mm. And I think because you're going so deep um, and, I, you know, you've, you've had a, an experience with this, a form of breath work or breath journey, but I, I feel that 
a lot can come up in these sessions. Yeah. Um, and even so, every, even if you think that you are you're done, <laughs> you are sorted, you are happy, you are well, the, these practices have the ability to really shake something up. Um, so I personally like to practice those under the guidance um, of a teacher. Um, mm. But the, yeah. my, my absolute favorite breathing practice and the one I do the most is resonance breath. It's it, it, it's not sexy. It's not like it's not you know <laughs> exciting. Um, it's, it's not. It's, it's you know it looks very very boring. But just equal inhale to exhale, five to six counts um, in a seated position. It sorts me out every single time. And and. You said resonance breath, and you're not using any sort of ujjayi-like throat constriction, just a nice, smooth, You, you can. Uh-huh. You, you, you can. Um, I play around with, with doing both, but I find um, for longer seated practices, it, it, for me anyway, it's not, not necessary to, yeah. to, use, yeah. um, to use a restriction. Um, and I find it's a beautiful precursor to meditation. Nice. Um, that's nice. just from that's just from my side, and I do try and do that daily, um, but I, I I try and keep these practices a little bit separate from my um, my asana practice and my ashtanga. Yeah, um, just yeah. the timing. I'm I've got to be honest. I don't have two hours to practice yeah. in one sitting yeah. anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm with you. Yeah, I hear you. Yes. Sadly, sadly not. I know it's funny. I like I'll yeah. I'll romanticize this like notion that, <laughs> all right, now I'm gonna like really bust out this really good two hour every day, and it, it still somehow maintain ma- ma- stays in this like romance fantasy thing in my mind <laughs> because the actuality of what happens every day. <laughs> Oh, this is, that's a good, good day is when there are no children and no students. And, <laughs> yeah. and uh, yeah, no, no, sadly, sadly, sadly not. Maybe one, maybe one day, maybe one day that'll come that's back. That's right. Um, I'm with you, Katie. I agree. I'm keeping that. Yeah, I'm going to hold on to this dream. Uh, do yeah. you know, when I saw some photos of you, I, I love your blue hair. I think it's so cool. Thank you. And, uh, <laughs> My son just recently bleached his and then had my wife put purple polka dots in his hair. Um, so oh, I was like, this is this is cool. Um, but then when I mentioned that to you, you said you had, uh, I think you said it was like maybe after your second trip to India that you just decided just to yeah. shave your head or buzz it. Yeah, buzz it. yeah uh, completely. And um, can you just tell me what that's like? Because maybe... I don't know, I guess I'm guessing culturally, Europe culture and America culture, like if a woman shaves her head, it's like, whoa. Like even yeah, if the, I, I shave... Yeah, the Britney moment. The, yeah, yeah. Like is she going, you know, what was your experience with that? Was it freeing? Was it enlightening in terms of the way people responded to you? What, what did you experience? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I believe that we should all do it once, especially if we're very attached to our hair and um, I can only speak from my own experience, but I, I have I always have had very long, thick hair. But I've been going grey since I was about twelve years old, um, and it, it's been one of those things where I've dyed my hair every two, three weeks since I can remember. And I went to um, I went to Mysore. I think it was the first. It was the first trip. Sorry, when I came back. Um, when I was in Mysore, sorry, I, I saw a few women practicing who had, I mean, then I would say let their hair go. <laughs> I don't know, it's not very nice with putting it now, but they had kind of allowed their, their gray hair to, to grow in. I just thought, what? They look amazing because they're owning it um, and, you know, they're not worried about what anyone else thinks. And I just had that kind of, kind of sad feeling of I've been worried about this since I was like 12 years old um, this is ridiculous um, and I couldn't face the idea of watching it grow out so I got home and said to my, my husband like, right, listen I really want to shave my head I want to kind of I want to have this experience and start again and see where I am with my hair so he took me to a, um, a hairdresser's and we shaved all of it off 
um, and let it kind of grow in. And it was, it was, it was really an interesting experience because one, you have to look at it and go, this is what I actually look like. Two, I am not my hair. <laughs> Three, um, I, I need to, I need to be happy with the way that I look. Um, and I was happy. It was so strange. After all of those years, I remember looking around and being like, what was I panicking about mm. this whole time? Um, but the reaction from others was really very jarring. One, everyone thought, well, not everyone, there was a, a group of people who thought I had a mental breakdown mm. and I was inundated with messages like, are you okay? Or something happened. Right, um, right. And the interesting thing was who asked those questions. Um, and I found that it was those who I know struggle with body image mm. or, you know, going through a journey of, of cosmetic procedures and, and, all, and all of this side of, 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 um, of the kind of the beauty world. Um, because, you know, when you do something a little bit out there, you know, it shows that mirror to some people. Yeah. Um, and it forces them to deal with it, no? And um, but then I had my my close friends were like, "Yeah, it's still you, and it's going to grow back." So <laughs> panic, yeah. panic over, you know. <laughs> like it's just there, right? it's just there. That's um, cool. and yeah, and when it grew, and when it grew back, I decided, you know what? Now it's now it's grey. Now the whole world knows that I'm grey. <laughs> I can. I can now go blue or purple <laughs> or green or whatever the hell I want to do. <laughs> Classic. Yeah. I hear yeah. you. Oh man. Do you, do you, I read, I got a chance to read some of your social media posts recently and you had made mention about how much you are on the journey of building self-acceptance in relation to uh, just who we are and what we look like and how we were born and what we have. And is that something that you feel has been a big challenge for you throughout life and, or that you're now just really focusing on more because it's, it is an issue more now or what are your thoughts in that field? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, it's so interesting. I I think looking at body image and, and, um, and that side of, of life really only became strongly apparent when I started Ashtanga Yoga, mm-hmm. um, which is quite, I find it quite sad to, to, to admit that, but um, I'd always been very kind of athletic um, and, you know, never, never, never a skinny, um, you know, individual, but always very kind of fit. Um, but then I came to, to Ashtanga, especially after I'd had my son as well. Um, and it was pointed out to me in so many ways by other people, the way that I looked and the way that my practice looked. And I really, for, for I think a long time, allowed that, allowed myself to indulge in that. Mm. And it kind of became a tool to, um, yeah, to really kind of beat myself up. And it, it really began to affect my my confidence um, to the point where I mean, that's one of the reasons why I didn't go to my book for so long. Mm. I really did not think I, I, I would fit in or I deserved to be there. So, you know, through the practice and, and through learning as well when to leave certain communities. Um, you know, I'm very picky now with who I practice with. Um, yeah, it's been a it's been a real journey. And then you know when we when we teach as well, I think we constantly you know, we build ourselves up. And then we're human. We have a moment where you know we have self doubt creeps back in. Um, but through practice, I think we're at least aware of that, and we can step back and have a look and go, right, is this real? Is this necessary? Um, and what can I do? to work with myself around this obstacle because this obstacle is always going to be there right yeah. I don't think we're ever going to wake up one day and be like yep yeah, you know what I am 100% or maybe you do but 100% happy with who I am I, yeah. I think it's the, the moments when we notice it and we can go okay we're, we're good <laughs> we, we can yeah. deal with this yeah. um, and that's something that I definitely do work on myself I also try and work with my my students on that Nice. 
what have you noticed? Because I can also attest to having similar thoughts like that throughout my life of, you know, when I was feeling overweight when I was in my teenage years, early teenage years, and being horribly self-conscious. And in a way, Ashtanga, when I saw someone who like had zero body fat and looked like they were just incredibly ripped and had the most perfect body that I thought meant perfect body that, okay, I'm going to do this practice and all finally I'm going to achieve this like perfect body that I always wish that I could have somehow. And, and like you said, it sometimes actually makes us feel worse about ourselves because I guess maybe we, I haven't dealt with the issue on a deep enough level. I definitely agree with you. Like what you said about, is it really that one day we're going to wake up and then boom, I'm never going to have those thoughts ever again about my insecurities about my body. You know what I mean? I just, now I'm kind of coming, I mean, I'm getting closer to 50 and I'm like, dude, it's been 50 years now. Like why do you think all of a sudden it's just going to change? Like, I mean, (laughs) and you're getting older and everything is harder. And, uh, so it's an incredible struggle and it's interesting because the, like you said, the, or I think what's amazing is that the yoga does have the ability to bring that more to the forefront, but then gives us this incredible opportunity to all, to try to heal it and to let go of that sort of attachment to feeling like I have to look a certain way or, or have a perfect or this, that type of practice to, uh, does that make sense? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, I think like for me when I started Ashanga, it was um, and when I when I really started practicing it more dedicated, I you know I, I mean I lost weight, but not really. I it kind of got strong. Let's say that I got I got strong, and I think it was the first time in my adult life where I was like, oh, okay, like this is this is what I want to be. Like I don't really care what I look like. Yeah, I want to be strong, and then that kind of boosted my confidence mm-hmm. also kind of I think sadly <laughs> boosted a little bit of ego and then mm-hmm. it kind of transitioned into now that I'm really strong I want to be I want to be I want to be perfect yeah. Um, yeah. and that married with I, I think potentially some teachers who weren't the right fit for where I was in that time um, yeah. Yeah. then it then I think and then that's when I got really strict with certain things and diet and and uh, you know got a bit of you know, not obsessed but it kind of went down an area where I think you know in hindsight it wasn't it wasn't the best use of my energy <laughs> you know if I concentrated a lot more on jumping back and jumping through it would have been by far more useful for me um, well but said. no I, yeah. I kind of went into that like that kind of space um, and yeah I, I think I think as the ego has kind of grown a little bit around it it unfortunately left me very vulnerable to um yeah these old habits um and then it took me a long time to kind of come back from yeah from that i think i'm now in a space and i really do believe going to my school and i don't want to ever say that you need to do that at all it's not a not you know it's not a trick for everyone if you don't want to go but for me it was a moment of I, you know, I don't need to be that person. I don't, it's not necessary. I just need to show up and practice. Yeah. You know, that's all I need to do is show up and do whatever I'm doing on my mat. You know, it doesn't really matter what I'm doing or even how it, I never really get the impression that Shirak sits there and watches the perfect alignment and uh, (laughs) who can do what. He just watches your practice, um, no drama around it, and then you leave. And then yeah. you eat and you sleep, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this, for me, was the aha moment of oh, all of this drama nice. was either self-created or it was perpetuated by somebody else's opinion. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's my kind of journey with it, I suppose. That's awesome, Katie. I really appreciate you being so honest and open, um, having... It's important, though. It's so important. It's so important to be honest and open because how many students do you think are interested in coming to a mindful class or a shanga led, and they don't feel confident and comfortable? How many missed opportunities are there um, because nobody? A lot of people do talk about this, but um, 
if we're just open and honest about these things, I think it maybe opens space to somebody who's sitting on the sidelines going, oh, I'd love to go to that Mysore class, but everybody's wearing a sports bra and I'm not going to be able to do that. I can't go into that class. Or, oh, so-and-so is super flexible and came from dance or gymnastics. I'm never going to be able to even, you know, touch my toes. Um, It doesn't need to be that way. I don't think it needs to be that way. I agree 100%. Yeah, that's my rant and my rave about this. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I'll I'll definitely recommend uh, everybody to go follow you on Instagram because the post that I saw right before I got on the podcast with you was just refreshing and it felt um that I, I really appreciate that you're just going in there and being honest and talking about these issues and keeping it real so i also am really appreciative that you were willing to stay up so late on your time <laughs> to accommodate a wonderful afternoon session for me to chat and while you're you're probably like oh my gosh I've already had a huge day and now I just want to catch some z's before I start over again but I really do appreciate Katie you taking the time to speak with me today and I really enjoyed it and if you I mean you said a lot of wonderful things so you don't need to add to it but if you have a message for me and or those listening is there anything that you'd like to close with I would, yeah, I think it would just be if you are even remotely curious or interested about going to a Mysore class, um, find a teacher, go step in. Um, it really is a, a, a beautiful practice and a practice that is accessible for absolutely everybody. Um, just find a teacher who's willing to work with you and to work with your body um, because if you find that teacher it's it's uh, such a such a transformational beautiful beautiful practice um, when used well so um, that would be amazing I'd want to, to end with wonderful that was perfect yeah thank, thank you for talking to me thank you you've uh, you've Pulled me out of my comfort zone <laughs> a few earlier. <laughs> You're not nervous right now? Are you feeling okay? <laughs> I feel okay. A little, right. little bit, little bit sloppy, and it's definitely past my bedtime. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you're welcome, Katie, and thank you. And I look forward to hopefully meeting you in person and I will continue to communicate with you and reach out and keep in touch. So I wish you. you wish you the best and thank you so much again. And you. Thank you very, very much. Thanks, Katie. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for following through and listening all the way to the end. And I'm really appreciative, Katie. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. And I know this is a labor of love for both of us. We love teaching yoga and to have the opportunity to speak and record and make this available for you to listen is uh, really an honor. And thank you so much. Remember to check out Katie on her website, katiesharyoga.com. And find her on Instagram at the same name, Katie Sharer Yoga. And look in the link below and you can just click. And if you're driving, wait till you get home. Don't pick up your phone and click while you're driving. Stay safe. <laughs> Don't get distracted. My son just turned 16 and started driving. And I'm like, do not pick up your phone while you're driving. So I'm trying to be really conscious of that as well. Be safe, everybody. Of course, I know you know the drill, but we'll try to practice what we preach. Um, and oh yeah, remember you want to practice if you want to try our two-week unlimited live stream special. The link is below. And also, if you would like to do a thirty-minute Zoom uh, free meet and greet, you can find that in the link below as well, and or on our website, nativeyogacenter.com. All right. Well, until the next time. Thanks so much. Native Yoga Toddcast is produced by myself. The theme music is dreamed up by Bryce Allen. If you like this show, let me know. If there's room for improvement, I want to hear that too. We are curious to know what you think and what you want more of. 
what I can improve. And if you have ideas for future guests or topics, please send us your thoughts to info at Native Yoga Center. You can find us at nativeyogacenter.com. And hey, if you did like this episode, share it with your friends, rate it and review and join us next time.